last week, um, I was talking from the first part of the book of Nehemiah, and we'll do a little recap. Um, Nehemiah, famous for uh, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Bear with me a minute while I do this. Okay, so Nehemiah, if you read that book, and some of you might have, um, might have read it um, this week and had a look. Anybody? Anybody done their homework? No? Okay, that's a hundred lines for everyone. Um, saying, uh, when Pastor John says, you could read this, I should listen to him and do it. Uh, no, you don't have to do that. Right, but Nehemiah, he was in a privileged position in an exiled community uh, of Israelites. He was the cupbearer to the king, which meant he was um, given the task of checking that the king wasn't being poisoned and assassinated, and he would check the, the drink before, so he got respect from the king. You know, he was put in an elevated position and given privilege, uh, and he sees this, um, this ruin of his home city, Jerusalem, and he sees that the walls are crumbling down and that his residents are in shame because of it. And, uh, and he goes to the king and he plucks up courage and he asks him for permission to go and sort his hometown out. And the king, because, he's, you know, because he thinks Nehemiah is a great guy, sends him. Uh, and he sends him with, with notes uh, for safe passage. He sends him with a, a, like a letter to the guy who's in charge of the lumber yards for, uh, for um, uh, the king. And he, and he gives him the materials he needs to go and build the wall. And then he went and organized loads of people. And there's a really cool bit where uh, basically everybody takes responsibility for the bit of wall that's in front of where they are, um, in front of their house. And they all get on. They work together. And they... They kind of build up the walls, they, they sort the gates out, and all this kind of stuff. And normally we kind of talk about Nehemiah, or you get told the story of Nehemiah, and it pretty much stops there, at the end of chapter 6. And it's this whole thing about just building a wall, and it's amazing, and they get it done, and despite all the people that are coming and ridiculing him, and saying this is nonsense, and somebody at one point says, look, even if a fox climbs up on that wall that you're building, it's going to knock it down. Right, and they just take the mick constantly. But we get to like the end of chapter six and the wall is built and kind of it's all like, yeah, this has been done. Um, everything's right with the world. And we generally stop there. Now, if we stop there, the kind of building of the walls of Jerusalem becomes a bit of a folly. And if you travel around, especially around England, um, maybe says something about the, the English as a kind of group of people and a culture of people, you will find in many places that rich people who had nothing better to do with their money built these structures called follies. Okay, So you might find in the corner of land some odd little tower or something like that. There's one in Hagley you can see um, rising around. And they're, they're called follies because um, follies like foolishness and people were building these structures with no good reason to build them. No good reason at all to build them. Uh, they build them, they do it, it just says, look how important I am. Look how great I am. I've got this ridiculous looking mock, you know, medieval tower on my land. Ruth's dad used to live in this amazing house in the Lake District, and we were really privileged to be able to go there, and some of you guys have been there, and two, Kev spent a lovely week in the presence of uh, a few of us and a very large bottle of Pepto-Bismol, um, and he spent some time in this house. 
the guy that built this house, he was like showing off completely, okay? So he had a house at one end of Derwent Water, which is a lake in the Lake District. He had another house at the other end, and then he decided he was going to build this house on this island in the middle of it. It wasn't even a house when he built it um, that you could stay at, okay? It was a day house. How ridiculous is that? It's this massive, massive place, and he had no bedrooms built in it because it was basically a showing-off house. I'm going to throw a party in this huge house on an island, right? He didn't think some of the things through, and he built loads of follies, okay? He built a fort, okay, at the bottom of it, and then he challenged all the villagers to basically attack his fort with boats while he shot at them with cannons, okay, right, genuinely, like, not very big cannons, but he shot at them with these cannons, and if they managed to raid his fort, he gave them basically a whole salted cow, okay, a preserved cow, so they could go and win this cow and this meat if they went and attacked him. He built um, uh, a set of standing stones and then claimed to have discovered them, all right, okay. He built a church, okay, he built a church on the island, um, and, he, and it, was, it had a name and everything, but then actually, he only built one side of it, so from the mainland, looking at the island, you could see that he got this amazing church, but it was just a wall, okay, with a tower and a front and some windows looking through. But he, he built all these follies. He also um, obviously hooked himself up with an architect who was a bit of a wally as well, because he built this huge house, which has got three floors, and um, partway through the build, they realized they'd forgotten to put any stairs in. Okay, so this one great big room um, had to be taken up with a big staircase. Okay, but if he'd have just left it that way with no stairs, it would again be in this folly. It would have been something that was built that looked cool, that looked good, that might have impressed people, but ultimately it was pretty useless. Okay, that's not the case with Nehemiah. Okay, it's not the case with Nehemiah. He doesn't just rebuild Jerusalem and get the people together and working together to build Jerusalem um, for no point, just for everybody to look at it and go, oh, it's a nice wall. Okay, he builds it because he's got a purpose. So, okay, we're going to have the, uh, the uh, verses up on the screen. Uh, it's from the New International Version. If you've got a Bible with you or if you've got a Bible app on your phone or your tablet or whatever, you can look these up. Uh, or you might want to just jot them down so you can look back later and, and see what you can learn from it that I might have missed, okay? Because that's, that's a given, all right, okay? So we start in Nehemiah 7, okay? Verses 1 to 3. Tom's going to put that up for us. Brilliant. It says this, After the wall had been rebuilt, and this is Nehemiah speaking, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani along with Hananiah. That would have got confusing, wouldn't it? That okay, he puts in charge Hanani and Hananiah. I'd have probably renamed one of them. It was a bit like church news last week where we had Libby J and Libby. Um, Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. You see, there was still a threat to Jerusalem. Even though it had been built, and uh, people were still kind of like, you know, getting a bit uppity about um, the Israelites coming in and sorting this place out. Okay? Their rivals, they still were kind of maybe thinking about attacking. Now there was something to kind of stop them coming in, but... There was still a threat. 
So Nehemiah's first job is still to concentrate on protection, still to concentrate on security. Okay, He knows he's built this place, but he can't just forget about it now because somebody could come in and, and knock his walls down again or, or sneak in or get in through the gates if they left them open. What's the point in building a great big defensive wall and then leaving your gates open? So he sorts all that kind of stuff out. He's put people in charge of it. He's given people the responsibility to get on and do these things. So that's his first job. Concentrate still on protection. His second job okay, is about filling the city with what needs to be there. Uh, and we carry on, verses 4 to 7. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town in company with Zerubbabel. It's a great name. We had some great names last time. Okay, if you are thinking of names for future children, okay, you've got some corkers here. Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigvi, Bigvi, and Nahum and Barna. Okay, the list of the men of Israel. Okay, and there's loads of lists, like I said to you before. Okay, the, the book is full of lists. Okay, but you can learn things even from lists, like we did from the, the thing on David the other week. Okay, but he started to fill up this city because there's no point in the city being empty. I don't know if any of you are fans of um, Top Gear or um, the Grand Tour, and I can't remember which one of these it was on. Um, but they visited at one point um, Jeremy Clarkson uh, and James May and what's the other one's name? Richard Hammond. Okay, I'm getting memory loss because he keeps it in his head so many times. All right, okay. But they went to this amazing airport, okay, and they're driving their cars around these runways and this incredible airport that's all been built and is plush, um, but it's never actually been used. Okay, was it on Top Gear? There we go. And this place had never actually been used. And if... Nehemiah had stopped at the point that he stopped at. It would have been as ridiculous as that airport that's never been used. And part of the problem is that it's in the middle of nowhere. So I don't know why anybody would want to fly there. They'd have to probably have to fly there to fly out of there. All right. But Jerusalem would have been in that state. So what is it when we decide that we actually need to fill our city, if we're using the city as a bit of an analogy for our lives, if we're using it as an analogy for our church, what is it that we want to populate our city with? You know, what is it? What do we need to do? What does God want to be put in our lives when we clear out a space and we talked last week about those walls that have been built up and that maybe sometimes we need to be rebuilding the walls of our lives that we need to be putting gates on our hearts if the stuff that's going to come in and influence us and going to drag us into stuff that's not good for us that's not what God wants for us okay we talked about keeping stuff out but what are we going to put in and in those first few people that are appointed 
Um, there's, there's the Levites and the people who are the priestly people and the worship leaders and the, uh, and the people who are going to bring God's goodness into the city. And we need to be bringing God's goodness into our lives. That's the things we need to be populating uh, our lives with. Okay, We need to worship. We need to get into his word. I find it really encouraging. I know a lot of you are on the version Bible app. If you're not, uh, search that. Uh, on, on the app stores, on your phone or whatever. And it's really encouraging that you can be friends with people on there. So lots of people are linked up at church. And I get these emails come through. I had an email come through yesterday to tell me Phil had started uh, reading the Bible in a year. I had uh, uh, an email come through to tell me that Tom had started reading six Hebrew words every Christian should know. All right, okay. But uh, people are filling up their lives, filling up the city of their hearts with things that are good, which things are going to bring about um, kind of goodness and kindness and all these kind of fruits uh, of the Spirit. What are we fill in our city with? You know, when God acts, sometimes we forget that it's a process that goes on for a while. We so many times have had words given to our church that have seemed uh, right and that have come in and then we've got on with them a little bit like the guys had said, um, yeah, we want to build these walls. They'd agreed with Nehemiah. They'd responded to his call and said, yeah, we want to do that. But we have to keep going. So many times God tells us to do something and we do it for a season and they think we can just put it down and let it go back to how it was. And there was a danger in Jerusalem of that. So what did they do? They made sure that they were focusing on God, that their city was filled with praise. Uh, And in Nehemiah 8, 1 to 10, it tells us this. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud. Joseph Bache wants to be my friend on the version. There you go, that's interaction in the sermon. Um, anyway, right, just came up in the middle of my iPad. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood, again, some great names, Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah. If you want a load of kids whose names rhyme, this is absolute gold. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Habadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, and those other ones instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. That's important that we understand what we're reading, isn't it? Okay, the church in kind of like medieval times here uh, in England, um, the priests knew what they were reading because it was in Latin, but they just read it and nobody else understood what was going on. There was a real revolution in Christianity and in faith when people started 
started to have the word of God in their own language and they could actually work out what it meant and people could explain what it meant to them. So here they know, okay, they, uh, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. These people come together in unity. Okay, God is the focus. God's word is placed on a platform high up so everybody can see, everybody can hear. Okay, it's explained to everybody. And the people come together and they get really excited about it. Some of them start to get really kind of upset and mourning and focusing on the fact that actually they haven't been keeping up with God's law and they haven't been listening to what God said and they think, oh man, we've been in a mess and they start crying about it and they start lying down with their faces down on the floor and Nehemiah and his mates come along and say, no, no, stop focusing on what's happened and you've done wrong. God wants to come in and he wants to bring you joy and he wants to tell you about everything that's right with the world and he wants to tell you how you can have this life that's amazing. So he says, get out there, get some food and some drink and have a party and invite your mates who've got nothing and just just celebrate. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We are strong when we experience God's joy. Do you know what? I reckon it must have been a pretty cool place to be living in that time. Okay, all these people have been exiled. The, the place that they call home has been in ruins. And then actually kind of this whole regeneration happens. So there weren't the houses inside the walls. There was rubble and there was broken down stuff. So new stuff was springing up everywhere. And you know, we get excited, don't we, when places are redeveloped. I get really excited when I go into places uh, like in Birmingham and stuff like that. And you go in and places that were run down have suddenly started springing up and really cool coffee shops, which are my personal favourite places, right, uh, have started springing up and the whole place has become a nice place to be. And Jerusalem must have been amazing. People were getting excited. Have you seen my new house? Okay, have you seen this? Have you seen the features I have had put in? Right, okay, they're getting really, really excited. There must have been a buzz around the place. And then they start reading um, the word and this just as I read this, this kind of really kind of made me laugh. Because when I read the Bible, I like to kind of read in between the lines. And I like to think about what else was going on in that moment. And what people were thinking. And what the conversations were they were having with each other. Okay. And Nehemiah 8, 13 to 18 gives me one of those amusing moments. Okay. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. Okay, they're expecting again, we're going to have the joy of the Lord, we're going to have this massive party, this is going to be amazing in our new city. Okay, they found, written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it through their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. 
It then goes on and says, so the people went out. I imagine there was a break between, you need to go and get some sticks, make some kind of weird little survival shelter, because that's what God's word says. I imagine the people who were just getting settled in their new houses and were getting very excited about the new city of Jerusalem were, were kind of like, it, it says what? Hang, are you sure? Are you sure that's what it says? Are you sure that's what God wants us to do? Because I have got a lovely house with a jacuzzi. All right, okay. And I'm not sure about making stuff out of olive branches to live in for this month. I imagine there was a lot of discussion. I imagine there was loads of stuff that was going on. And then they kind of come to the kind of conclusion, okay, fair enough, okay, we've gone along with this so far, we've gone along with what God said so far, um, let's, let's just do it, let's see what happens. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. I always think, when, my first thing when I hear was there was an assembly, I start to think of school, but it just means they all got together. Okay, they all got together and they had a kind of worship uh, time and they, they, they got together and learned more from the word. But sometimes when we're doing what God wants us to do, we've just got to trust him because sometimes it seems mad. Right. I imagine these people were thinking about all these new home comforts they got, all this security they got, and then we're going to live in a little temporary tent made of sticks and leaves. Right, okay. I don't think when they did it, the majority of them were going to understand what a time of celebration they were going to have. Right. I know that Libby gets very excited about sleeping in her tent to the point where previous to Soul Survivor in other years, she's got the tent out and then decided just to sleep in it in her garden just to get excited. Soul Survivor, we have amazing times when we go away to festivals and stuff like that. Most people are not that excited about being in a tent. Okay, Me to the point that we have a caravan. All right, But, okay... <laughs> People get so excited because we can get together and, and when we do things that are out of the norm and when we take away some of the kind of comforts that we're used to, we can have some incredible times of actually joy and, and, and understanding the, the basic things that God's given us. When we did the cabin project, myself and Luke and Josh a while ago, it was amazing actually just to have nothing other than getting some food and hanging out and finding things that we wanted to do. And I actually really enjoyed that. I thought I was going to have a really tough time, but actually it was amazing and I'd love to do it again. All right, all those people that gave money to that project and that came into church because you thought we were going to have an awful time. All right, I'm sorry, we did have a good time. Uh, but thank you so much for giving into it. And then, after everything seems to be going so well, 
Everything seems to be going so well. They start to kind of look back a little bit. And chapter 9, uh, if you look through it, uh, it basically starts to say, well, these are all the problems we've had when we've rebelled against what God said. And then this is all the good things that have happened uh, when we do do what he tells us to do. And then, and then here's some more terrible things that have happened because we decided we knew better. Uh, and here's some more great things that happened because we followed him even though we thought it was ridiculous. All right, and they go through all this stuff. And then at the end uh, of chapter 9, they kind of make this promise and they, they all get together. And it says this in chapter 9, verse 38. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Okay, they're shutting it down. They're saying this is official. Okay, this can't be messed with. This is this promise that we're going to make to follow God. Okay, and then... In verse, uh, in chapter 10, 28 uh, to 33, it says, The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring people for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for us, for our sons. When the neighboring people bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we won't buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we'll forgo work in the land and we'll cancel all the debts. Uh, we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feasts, at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of God. They're going to do it. They're going to promise that they are going to make a society like they want society to be, that follows after God's heart, that has all these blessings that they've seen in their history have come from following God, his word and what they want to do. They're staying focused. They're staying focused. Everything's going to be amazing. But actually, in chapter 13, right at the end, when they've promised they're going to do all this stuff, Nehemiah has gone back to his boss, the king. And he says this in verse 6 of chapter 13. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. This is all the stuff that's gone wrong. All the stuff that they've promised faithfully they're not going to do, they then just go and do it. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission to go back. And Nehemiah goes back. And he has to sort it all out again. And I, it must have taken him a long time. Because we know that we had to have all these passes to get through different areas that were being uh, overseen by different officials. And I just imagine this word getting back to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's kind of sitting there back in the, 
in the, uh, the, the palace of Artaxerxes, which, by the way, if anybody names a future child Artaxerxes, you get free coffee in uh, Kingdom Coffee for the rest of your life. All right, okay. No, um, but he, he's got this journey, and he's got to come back. And I can just imagine Nehemiah coming back, just going, what an oh, this stupid, why are they doing this? Idiots, I'm going to have to make this journey all the way back again. They know what they should do. They've seen what happens when we do what we should do. They've seen what happens when we don't do uh, what God's asked us to do. And he gets back and he sorts it out again. And then how many times over the years then this whole cycle goes of people getting really excited about what God's doing and, uh, and realising you know, this amazing revelation for the 77th time that, okay, if we live like God tells us to live, this works out well. If we don't, this works out and comes out in a mess. But there's this ongoing process and it's the same with us. How many of us have had those moments where we've kind of said, maybe it's been a big kind of public thing, maybe it's been in a big moment in church or at somewhere else where we've, we've responded to a call and we've gone to the front and we've said, hey God, I want to give you everything. God, I'm going to do it right this time. I'm sorry for all those times I've messed up. And we do it with the best intentions and then we go and screw up again. And we probably get angry with ourselves and sometimes we get angry with God and sometimes we try and completely shut him out. And then maybe another time we, we kind of come back and we say, hey, do you know what? Actually, when I look back, I recognize what happened when I was doing what you wanted me to do. And I recognize what my life was like with you in it. And we go, when we go up and down and there's this ongoing process, this ongoing process of building, of knocking down walls, of shutting our gates to the things that, that mess us up and then opening them up again and let everything back in. But I really want to encourage you that this story talks about that roller coaster ride. The Bible isn't a straight line graph from damnation to salvation. Okay, it's pits and troughs all the way. That song we sang this morning, the only thing that's constant is that compass that God gives us because he is a fixed point. He is a fixed point that we can have as reference. But I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe for the first time, to just say to God, hey, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to actually see what happens. If I say to you, you can have all that I am. I'm going to shut some stuff off. I'm going to actually try living the way that your word tells me that I should be living. I'm going to see what happens. Let me encourage you, if you're on a path that's kind of the other way, that you've been there and, and you're coming down the other way, let me encourage you that there's a path back. That it's not all over. But we can move on into a place that means that we're strong because we're full of God's joy. Do you know what? God's people, we should be a people that celebrate. We should be a people that love him, that, that should be in a place that is good and that's beneficial to us, that, that's a great place for our children to be. In a world that's so messed up, we can build a city, we can build a wall of protection 
that actually keeps us safe from the stuff that messes us around. Let's be that kind of people. Let's be that kind of people who want what God wants because he says we're going to be joyful through that. Let's just stand together. We're going to worship in a moment. I just want to pray for us this morning. And uh, just if, you know, if you, if you feel there's something that, that's kind of touched you or spoken to you this morning, just really encourage you to come and find me or come and find somebody um, on the welcome team or at the, at the desk or whatever, or, or anybody you've seen up the front today. Just come and grab us and have a chat. Uh, and we'd love to kind of chat to you if you've got any issues with anything and you want to know what that really means. We'd love to do that.